that, ladies. Well, let's pick up our, our place, Colossians chapter 1, this evening. And we'll uh, continue on our series here in, in Colossians, Grounded and Settled. And I think this will be the last time we're here this year. But I'm glad, um, glad Andrew explained his words. I just thought he was going to say, I discovered that I rock. Like, I was like, wow, Andrew. It's complimenting yourself there. So I'm glad. And unfortunately, it was, he, as he explained, he embarrassed his mom. Oh, come on, man. It's Sunday night. But anyway, Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 21 to 23. And um, we'll, we'll pick it up there as we get into just... Really, in, in, in Paul's introduction to this letter, uh, what it is to be grounded and settled in the faith, but he's going to talk about the church. And he was going to, he's referring to them here in, in his uh, introduction. And tonight, I want to remind you again that we are the church. That if you're saved, if you've, there was a time where you put your faith and trust in Christ, that you're, you're the church. And sometimes we view that in a, in a corporate sense, and we understand it's a called-out assembly, but the church is made up of individuals, so what he's saying here is true of you individually as, a, as one that is part of the, uh, of the church. He says in verse 21, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Let's pray. Father, thank you once again for the opportunity that we have, Lord, in this short uh, couple of verses, dear God, to understand, Lord, who we are in you. And we're thankful, dear Lord, that, Lord, there was a time, Lord, in, in our lives that Lord, we put your, our faith and trust in you, and there, Lord, our, our whole destiny pivoted. Our whole story, dear God, changed. And Father, we were put on a different path, on a different tra trajectory to what it is that we have for us in, in our futures that you've, you've given us, dear Lord. And thank you for the time tonight to open your word. I pray that you'd please help us. pray for your enabling as I open your word this evening. And we pray these things in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. And really, he's asking the question here for us, and we're going to answer it, who is the church? And as Paul transitions from what he was speaking about, the majesty of, of Christ, the head of the church, he now, now moves into, and we get a glimpse in summary of the church, the body of Christ. And we're going to see here, the, really, uh, a bit of the chronology of the church. We're going to see here the, the church's past the church's present, and the church's future. And, you know, sometimes in, in our lives, um, we, we sort of try to figure out where we're at. And I thought about this, you know, sometimes we're trying to figure out if we're on the right track. Sometimes we, we, where we are at and we, we're trying to evaluate where we're at, uh, we sometimes wonder, are we on the right track? Are we heading the right way? And wouldn't it be nice if we had our, our, the stories of our lives written and we could just follow along a little bit and, and sort of go, well, I am a little bit off track. I need to get back onto it. But when you think about it, 
the Bible does do that. It actually tells us what we were, what we are, and what we ought to be, and what we will be. And, and that's really in the, the, in the short amount of verses that we have here tonight, what he's summarizing for us. He's summarizing the church in their past, the church as it presently is, and the church in its future, um, in its future glory. And often that we forget that, that we have that story actually already written. And whilst there are some specifics that God's going to reveal for us in our, in our own journeys, we need to get back. And this is really our grounding. This is really our settling. And sometimes we need to just go back to what God has to say about where we're at and where we're going to head and what we used to be to just get us back on track, get us grounded and settled and let's, we sometimes get bogged down in the, the challenges of the church today and some of the things that we've have to, we have to go through as, as believers in this century, the ones that are going through in 2022, but we need to get back to what the Bible says about us. And we need to get back to where we're at. And, and really today, uh, this evening, we're just going to look at the church in the past, in the present, and in the future. And notice with me verse 21, he starts off, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. He's saying that's your past. He's saying that, well, that's what it used to be. That's your past. And you that were sometime, were, past, uh, past tense, that, that was you, that's not you now. He's saying you were that. Turn with me. We're going to turn to a couple of verses tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And do a bit of a Bible study this evening. So if you follow along quickly, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll move along pretty quickly tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And notice what Paul has to say to this church in verse 9. It says here, Know ye, know ye not, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? It says, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty comprehensive list of those that are not part of the kingdom of God. But then notice what he says in verse 11, and such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And he's reminding them of their former life. He's reminding them of their past, that in their past they were this and now they're this. And you know, sometimes we, we look at the, the church at large and we look at the, sometimes the, the society and, and it ought to be that, that we are in great contrast to the society that we're living in. There ought not to be a similarity between us as the church and the point there where we see that we're not that, that what we used to be. But I think sometimes we overstep and we border on arrogance at times because we can look down on our noses and look at those that are in their sinful condition who can't help themselves, and we forget that was us. We forget that we were rescued from that. We forget that that's what we were washed from. That's where we were sanctified from. And now we are made clean through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that was our past. And maybe you're here this, this evening and you're thinking, well, I was saved real young. Hey, listen. God saved you from potentially a life like that if you got saved real young. 
And you ask anyone here who got saved at a later stage of life, and, and they can, as they listen to that list, perhaps if they're honest with themselves and remind themselves this evening, just remind themselves that was them. That's what they went through. That's the things that are scarring in their minds, those things that sometimes they still dread to even remember. And then they remind themselves that that was their past and that's not who they are now. And so he's reminding them of their past. And churches everywhere, regardless of, of city, regardless of country, are filled with people who were sinners who are now saved by grace. But they were sinners. They, they were those who, if the Bible, we went through that list again, are, are descriptive of those things that they struggle with, that they endure, and they can't help themselves. But notice in our text the two ways in which we're described, sometime alienated. So we were alienated. That word simply means estranged, to be turned away, to be withdrawn. And, and he, he says something similar. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. And notice verse 17. It says, This I say therefore and testify in the law that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. It says don't walk that way anymore. Why? Because having the understanding dark and being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. He says, you, the church, your past was this. You were sometime alienated. You were withdrawn. You were, you were estranged to God. That's why he can look at someone who, even though they did great works for God, can look at them and he says, depart from me. I never knew thee. There are those perhaps who think they're just in the church and, and they, they, they still they don't have any, any kind of real victory over sin and they, they better check because we were alienated. We were withdrawn. We were estranged. God never knew us, but if you're one of His, then He knows you. You've been drawn nigh. And that's why it was that, that, that He says to them, that used to be you. You were alienated. You were estranged to God. It, it was, it, by this, it, me, it is meant that we are no part. Right? As Gentiles and lost, not being God's people, not even Jews and saved, we're grafted in. And God made us to be close when we were alienated, estranged, turned away, withdrawn. But then notice the second way he describes our past. We were also enemies. You know, when you think about something that doesn't belong you think about those that are in opposition. And it says you were not, not just alienated, not just estranged to God. You're actually enemies. You're actually in opposition. Look at Romans chapter 5. Look at Romans chapter 5. And notice verse 9. says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, notice there again, we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. But notice the, 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 the reality prior to salvation, it was this, God saw us as enemies. 
In fact, he says in Romans 8, 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And he's saying that that was your life. You were sometime alienated. You were sometimes enemies. In James 4, 4, he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And you know, he's, he's speaking that, and he's t- taking this, this, uh, this um, he's taking this to the church there and saying, that was your former life. That was your past. And we can look at how God has, in times past, dealt with us about the need for a Savior. And, and I hope that you have the testimony that that, that is your past. And he's, he's taking it for granted in his writing there that that's your former life. And he's reminding them. And what that ought to produce in our lives, it ought to produce a bit of humility. We ought to be humbled by the fact that even though that was us, even though we were sinners, Christ still died for us. Even though that was our former life, that was our past as, as the church, that he has brought us in and he has brought us closer to him and that's what he wants to remind them of, their present situation. He says, you were, you were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. You couldn't help yourself. You produced wickedness because you are a sinner. But then he says, yet now. So here's the truth about you tonight. Here's the truth of where we are presently. Yet now hath he reconciled. And that, that ought to be grounds for us to rejoice tonight. Because where we were formerly to where we are now It's like darkness and light. That's what the Bible says. We've been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And unless we get proud this evening and think we're something, God reminds us how He reconciled us. He reconciled us not by our own works, not because we were somehow worthy. No, it was in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. Listen. The reason why you, you were reconciled wasn't your own sacrifice. It was a sacrifice of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was that. The only reason you have, you're presently, you're reconciled with Him is because someone uh, at one point told you about a Savior who loved you so much that He was willing to die on the cross of Calvary and save you from the wickedness of your sin. That's the reality of it. You know, I think sometimes we walk around as Christians and we think somehow we've arrived and yes, we are different and yes, we have been reconciled and yes, we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, but it has nothing to do with us. It's got all to do with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's about what He's done. It's about how He's given us this present truth, this present reality in our lives, yet now hath He reconciled. And Paul is writing here about the church's present condition. And by the way, again, can I remind you, those things that were former are former. They, 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 that ought not to be. You ought to be in the mindset of you're reconciled. And, you know, I think sometimes, uh, sometimes it's Christians struggle with sin in their lives. And we understand we still have the old nature. We still have the flesh to contend with. And we still live in a sinful and wicked world where sin is evident all around us and can also sometimes even be present in our own lives. But listen, you don't have to stay there because that is your former life. That's your past. 
We can get back to that reconciled life. That's our present. Yet now hath he reconciled. He says that again. Look at Romans chapter 8. Go back to Romans chapter 8. And notice verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the, char- to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've been reconciled. We've been brought to a position of, from, from the former position of being alienated and at enmity to a place of reconciliation. We've been brought into friendship from a state of disagreement. And the price was paid so that we're no longer enemies and alienated. We're now been brought in to friendship and unity with the Lord. He says that in Hebrews 12, uh, 2.17, Wherefore in all things it behooved him, to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. You know, he willingly, he laid down his life, he became that faithful high priest who became the the only sacrifice that was needed. And because of that, he brought us into friendship from a state of disagreement. You know, I don't know if you've ever gone through a time where, where you were in great disagreement with someone you loved. Maybe there was a miscommunication. Maybe some things had eroded over time. And you know what it took. You know what it takes at times. There's sometimes great sacrifice that needs to happen for there to be reconciliation. And there are times where, you know, the, we, we need to be reminded of the great sacrifice. It wasn't on our end. It was on the end of the Savior. He was willing to sacrifice. He willingly laid down his life. And he gave, and, and it ought to be that this produces a great deal of thankfulness and security in our lives. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2. Go, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus says, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh or knee by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. That's that enmity that was between us. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace. He says where there were two parties, now there's one. He's been brought. To the middle. He says, and, and, and that he might reconcile both, one, uh, both unto God. And verse 17, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we have both access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, 
but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom and all, all the buildings fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom also you are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. He's saying where it was that there was a great separation and we were in two houses, so to speak. He's broken down that wall and now we're under the one roof. He's saying you've been made, you've been reconciled, you're, you're a fellow citizen in Christ. You're part of his family. And really it also speaks not only this, the, our present time of our security, but it speaks of our message. And notice there with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You're following along well tonight. And notice there with me, verse 17. He says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He says, All things, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us. Notice this, the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of of God in Him. But notice the ministry that we're called to. It's a ministry of reconciliation. You know, the, the church's present is this, that you're reconciled so that you can reconcile others to, to the Lord. You can bring them from a place of disagreement to a place of friendship, to a place of unity. And you know, we can't, again, we can't forget that there was a stage in our lives where we were in that position too. We, we've got we've to allow and remind ourselves of our past so that we can be effective in our present. And I think sometimes, again, I think we, we, don't, uh, we don't value our present because we, we've forgotten or we disregard or we uh, undervalue, uh, underestimate our past. The, just the great, uh, the great sin. And, and I think sometimes we play around a little bit with, with just the salvation that God has offered us and we don't value it like we should. I think sometimes we've forgotten that, that, that the thing that God has saved us from and the thing that the, those without Christ is still their present and their reality. But the, our present condition is that we're reconciled and that, that, ought to, that ought to be grounds for rejoicing tonight. That ought to be that you've been saved from that disagreement, that, that the, the vision, that, uh, that withdrawing, that alienation and enemy state that you were in to now being reconciled, being made friends with God. But then notice verse 22. Go back to Colossians chapter 1. And notice uh, the future of the church. He's, he says there in verse 22, to present you. To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. The church's future, there's a future for the church. He wants to present you a certain way. In order, order to go back to in our minds, um, and we'll turn there in a little while in Ephesians chapter 5, about his bride. That's who we are. We're the bride of Christ. That's our future. And 
we've got to remind ourselves that the things that are happening in our lives today, it's in, all in preparation for that great presentation one day. And, and it ought to produce, really, in our lives, in summary tonight, righteousness. It ought to produce righteousness. So those things that God allows into our lives is meant to bring righteousness in our lives. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And notice verse 1, would to God you could hear, you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. This is Paul here, he was the, uh, God gave him the, uh, the stewardship of this, the message of the church, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And notice again, Paul, Paul's whole attitude, Paul's whole goal as he, as he labored amongst the churches there in, in the first century, he understood he was there, he was there to prepare them to, to be presented a certain way. And you know, that's what, that's what preaching does. That's what our gathering together is about. It's about preparation. It's about preparing us to be presented a certain way. And there's going to be a great presentation, and I think that presentation will start at the rapture, and it'll end at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we read those great verses there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And it's, there's that great calling up, but then at the end of it, look at Revelation chapter 19, we have the great marriage supper of the Lamb. And there's this great celebration for the presentation that is given to the Lord of His bride. And in verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and His wife, notice this, hath made herself ready. So as much as God is doing the, those things to present to Himself and as much as the church in its offices will play their part, you know what it, it's going to take? It's going to take you presenting yourself. It's going to take the time to, to, when we hear the Word of God given and we have the Word of God daily and we have that fellowship and that relationship with God where He's, 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 He's preparing us for this presentation one day and we're sensitive to that, it's going to take us applying those things that we're hearing. It's going to take us recognizing where we're at and if we're headed in the right trajectory with things and recognizing what our future is and recognizing that this present time, this time of being reconciled is also a time of preparation for that day to come. He's saying presents herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And we know that we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We've been made white as snow. We know that positionally. But we know we've still got to go through this, this time on this earth. And there's times where we've got to get things right with the Lord, remain clean be between He and us. And this, this presentation is really described three ways here in the book of Colossians. Firstly, that we would be holy. He says that we would be holy. You know, holiness is, doesn't make for popular preaching today. A lot of people, they don't, don't want to hear about holiness. They want to hear about happiness. They, they, don't, they don't really think much of their holiness. 
When was the last time we, you thought about your holiness before the Lord? But he's, he's saying here, your future here is to present you holy. And, and holy simply means this, to be entire, to be complete, to be set apart for specific use. If you think about the, the very thing that God is, God said three times he is holy. That was declared about him. And uh, be holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. And its holiness is important to God. And he says, I want to present you one day holy. And he says that in that great picture that we have in Ephesians chapter 5. So go back. Go to Ephesians 5 now. And we know this, we often hear it when we go to weddings, but remember marriage is just a, a picture of a greater thing, right? That greater thing is that relationship with, with Christ and the church. And he says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. You know what this is? This is our testimony against the flesh. The flesh being spotted and unclean. And understanding that, that we've, been, uh, we've been given victory over the flesh. And that's why the, 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 our gathering is not a time to show the flesh. It's not a, a time to show pride and to show all of those workings of the flesh that we find in Galatians chapter 5. That's why we go about each day and each week and we recognize those things and rather than walking after the flesh, we walk in the Spirit. And there's that holiness that is produced in our lives. But notice the next thing, he also says that we're to be unblameable. Okay, it simply means without blame. Okay, in Ephesians 1.4, he says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And what this is, this is our testimony against the world. The world is, 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 dirties and, and spots our garments. And he says in James 1.27, Pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. He's saying our works. He's saying that our testimony is, ought, to be, ought to be in, uh, in stark contrast to, the, to how, how dirty and spotted the world is, we're supposed to be unblameable. But then he says, the next thing he says is that you'd be unreprovable. Notice there again, he says that you'd be holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And what unreprovable simply means is without accusation. You know, there's a title that is given to Satan. He's the great accuser of the brethren. And to be unreprovable, this is our testimony against Satan. Satan's the great accuser of the church and the Christian. And he's saying here that, that to be unreprovable is you can't, you, can't be, you can't be accused by your great enemy, Satan himself. And I wonder if that's you. I wonder as a church if we would just resist the devil and he'll flee. If we'd understand that in our lives, actually, we're, we're fighting a roaring lion, but he's a defeated foe. And that we go about and we have no fear. Or we, we understand that, that the great power that he has, but we have one that is greater, that is in us than he that is in the world. And we have that and we understand that, but we are to be with that accusation. Look at Re Revelation chapter 12, the second last place we'll turn to. 
Revelation 12, look at verse, verse 10. It says here, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. He was saying there that we have a fallen accuser, but he won't rest. He doesn't rest day and night. He accuses us before God day and night. But you know, our only recourse is the fact that we've been bought by the blood of the Lamb. We have the word of our testimony and we have that integrity. I think about Job. Job is a prime example of that. We see him accused and, and God uh, really, when, when, he, when, when Satan accuses us, he's really accusing God. He's accusing, accused God, you know, you put a hedge about him, you blessed him. If you do this, this, and this, he's going to curse you. And what we find about Job, he had his integrity. And we see the great testimony of Job. We see that through all of that, God was doing a work in his life to refine him. But we understand also that he, you, he had a testimony. So how's your testimony? And I think this implies here our private life. You know, we can have a testimony that's glowing in front of everyone else. But how about those things that we think in our head? How about those things that we say behind closed doors? How about those things that, that, that are not, no one else in this world? And, and all of those things. And, you know, sometimes it's our private life that Satan will use to accuse. And we better take great care. He's saying that you, or you're unreprovable. But really, our future, he's saying here, is one of complete and ultimate victory. Because our future is that we will be with the Lord. He will present us that way. And, and maybe God's allowing you to go through some things to, to, to cleanse you, to, to cause you to be more holy, to understand those, the, our testimony against the flesh, our testimony against the world, our testimony against Satan. And maybe God's allowing us to go through some things. But at the end of the day, we have complete victory in Him. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, this great chapter. And we'll be done. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 51. It says, Behold, I will show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass a saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because that's true of us, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen, you know, we, we can have a lot of excuses for the ineffectiveness of our lives for Christ. We can say, well, it's, it's difficult. Well, and it is at times. We can say, well, it's just the, the condition of the world. It's not, it's, not, it's not conducive to living the Christian life, and it's never been. But if you understand where you're at, if you understand that was your past, 
if the, you understand that is you in present, you're reconciled, and you understand that God's desire you're in his future presentation of you is that you'd be holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. You know what you're going to find? You're going to find great strength. And you're going to be that Christian that is unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, God's desire for you is ultimately to be, to be victorious. And, and we, we, are, we fight on the winning side, can I remind you tonight. And our future is one that is complete victory. You know, one day this, this flesh will be no more. One day this world will be no more. And one day we're going to have victory over already a fallen, a fallen foe anyway. And Satan will be cast and forever locked up. And he, he won't bother you anymore. But listen, we, we fight in that way. And, and whatever God's doing in your life, whatever those things, are, it's God that's allowing. It's because he's, he's, he's working in you to, to present you one day to be holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. And I hope that, that, that we would fight that way this week in our spiritual warfare. I hope that we live in that reality. And, and maybe there's still some things in your heart. You, you, you're just saying, well, I'm still struggling over that. Listen, fight in, that, in your present state. You're reconciled. God's given you from being that, that one that is in opposition to now being in friendship and, and walking hand in hand. You can walk in the Spirit. And actually, we're fighting and we have a great future that the, a future that, that produces and it will be in holiness, unblameable, and unreprovable. And so I hope that you would go, and you know what? That's a grounded and settled Christian. Let's pray. I pray that you'd help us, dear Lord, tonight. Lord, help us to recognize, dear Lord, just, just a lot of these things. It's just reality. It's just doctrine in your word. It just, just tells us about the reality, even though at times when we observe our own lives, we struggle to see that. And yet, Lord, it ought to just motivate us to get back on track. And maybe there's things that we need to get right with you. Maybe there's things that we've allowed to overcome us. And, Lord, we need to get back to that, that mindset of who we are in you. I pray that you'd help each and every one this evening. Lord, not just as a church corporately, but as the church in our individual walk with you. That we would just, just be surrendered to who we are in you. And then, Lord, recognize again the great victory that we have ultimately. And Lord, we, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. All right, we'll see. Thanks. Okay, church, let's stand.